there is no doubt that superheroes are popular today. Everybody, I'm sure, would, or most people would know this film. Avengers Endgame. It's the 22nd film in the Marvel Avengers series. It was released only two weeks ago and has already broken numerous box office records. Within its first five days, it became the fastest film to break $1 billion sales barrier worldwide. That's not $1 million, that's $1 billion of sales. And it made a record-breaking $1.2 billion in worldwide ticket sales on its first week. In the UK, 90% of all tickets sold on that weekend, on this opening weekend, were for this film. And it's already become the second most popular film of all time. And then overall, the top 10 Marvel films, they have made over $12 billion in ticket sales. $12 billion. So there's absolutely no doubt that lots of people love watching uh, superheroes use their superhuman strength, power and skills to fight to save the world. And many of the fans are here, especially down the front here. You can see their big beaming faces on the back. But God is different. God doesn't seem to be interested in superheroes. He's not looking for extraordinary people to do amazing things in spectacular ways. Instead, he's looking for ordinary, everyday people like us to give him their very limited resources so that he can save the world through them. This is what Jesus modelled in his remarkable life. As we've seen through John's Gospel, Jesus is unique in his person and his power and his authority. He is fully God, equal with the Father, with the power and authority to raise the dead, to judge the world and to give eternal life. And yet Jesus did not come to be the superhero that the Jewish people wanted. Instead, he came to work in very different ways and to, be, and to involve in his ministry very ordinary people with some very limited resources. And I think this, this passage we're going to look at this morning really shows that so powerfully. So it's in John chapter 6, uh, verse 1 to verse 15. This is one of my favourite incidents in the life of Jesus. So John chapter 6, and it's in verse 1 down to verse 15. If you want to have a Bible, you can look on with it. If you just want to listen, that's fine too. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, 
Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all, when they had, all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and to make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. This is an amazing miracle. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus, it's the only miracle recorded in all four of the Gospels. Maybe it's because it's such a a powerful demonstration of Jesus' ability to meet the overwhelming needs in in this world. This crowd was huge. Only the men were counted. Sorry ladies, please don't be offended. Only the men were counted and there were about 5,000 of them. Now, with all of the women and the children included, this crowd could easily have been something like 10 or 20,000 people there that day. And they were hungry. They were in a remote place on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had actually gone there to try and get some quiet time alone with his disciples to have a rest from their busy, demanding ministry. But the people had learned that Jesus loca- about Jesus' location and they'd followed Jesus round on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. And that was because they'd saw the, the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. So in their desperation for help, they followed Jesus right into this very remote place. And when Jesus saw them and saw their need, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so all day long, Jesus taught them the truth about God. And he healed their sick. But now it was late. And the crowd was hungry. And they were in desperate need of food. And their haste hadn't brought anything with them. But where could they get enough food in that remote place? Who could supply enough food in the face of that overwhelming need of a hungry crowd of 10,000, 20,000 people? Who could meet that need? Well, Jesus could. First of all, we read in verse 10 that he got all the people to sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, John says, and the men sat down. Now, in many ways, this appears just a a little insignificant detail. Maybe just because John was an eyewitness of that event, and so he could actually give us those eyewitness details of what he saw and experienced that day. 
But maybe this was also to show that Jesus was really being very careful about what he was doing here. Jesus knew the, the danger of a hungry crowd getting out of control. If you stay for lunch today, you'll probably see that happen. When I say, okay, food is ready, you'll see the dangers of that. But also Jesus wasn't trying to be showy. He wasn't trying to act in an impressive or spectacular way. He wasn't trying to whip this crowd into frenzy. So instead he just invited them to sit down. And to be served. Like guests at a banquet. Paul wrote about this is how we should behave in church. God is not a God of disorder. But of peace. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. God isn't into chaos or rioting in church. Or things just happen strangely. God wants us to behave orderly. As a reflection of him as the God of order. But I think also there was something else going on here. I think maybe this crowd of people sitting down on the grass is supposed to spark off a memory, spark off something that we've read in the book of Psalms. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I think Jesus here is acting as that good shepherd, supplying the needs of his people as they sit down in the grass and just wait for him to serve them. And Jesus did this in a truly miraculous way. He took five small barley loaves and two small fish. Again, John just gives us some details here. They're barley loaves and they're small. It seems like an insignificant detail. And yet I think there's significance in this. Small barley loaves. They were the bread of the very poor. Not the the bread of the rich. But they were also the bread used in a miracle in the Old Testament. By the prophet Elisha. If you took time to read in 2 Kings chapter 4. You'll read about Elisha. How he fed a hundred men with 20 barley loaves. It was a tiny amount of food for these men, and yet miraculously, he set this before them, and they ate, and had some left over, to show that there was more than enough. Everybody recognised that was an amazing miracle, to feed a hundred men with 20 small barley loaves. But John is telling us here that there's something, someone far greater than Elisha. Who's here? Because he just took five of those small barley loaves. And he took two fish. And after giving thanks for it, he distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. In Jesus' hands, this meagre, tiny little packed lunch was transformed into a banquet that satisfied five, ten, twenty thousand people. And then, even at the end, when everyone was full, there was more left over than Jesus had started with at the start. Jesus told them to gather up the leftovers. 
and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. More left over than they started with at the start. I'm sure they enjoyed those leftovers. I love leftovers. It's like a free dinner, isn't it? So it's just amazing to see that. This was a powerful demonstration that it doesn't matter how many people come to Jesus. It doesn't matter how overwhelming their needs are. Jesus can supply everything that they need. Now, of course, this applies to our everyday material physical needs. Paul wrote to the Philippians, My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not a, pro- a promise of prosperity. Some people grab onto this and, and say this is a promise of prosperity. It is not. The guy who wrote this, Paul, he knew, he just talks about it just in the few verses before that, how he knew what it was to be well fed or to be hungry. He knew what it was to live in plenty or in want. So it's not a promise that your bank account is always going to be full. But it is a promise that we can trust in Jesus. In every circumstance, we can trust in Jesus that he will give us what we really need. Not what we want, not what we think we need, but what he knows that we need. We can depend on him to supply our needs. But Jesus wants us to to learn an even greater truth from this miracle, I think. Not just that we can depend on God for our everyday needs. Not just that we should pray, as Jesus taught us, give us today our daily bread. Not only can he be the, is Jesus the one who can satisfy our physical needs in our life, but even deeper and more importantly, he is the one who can satisfy our spiritual needs. Our spiritual hunger. John is really helpful to us in his gospel because he often, uh, the way he structures the gospel, he often helps us to see a miracle or a sign and then he gives us some teaching after that that helps us to understand what we're supposed to learn from that and that's the case in John chapter 6, we'll go on into it over the next few weeks uh, but if you look down to verse 35 we'll see how Jesus interpreted this miracle what are we supposed to learn from this miracle Jesus said, verse 35 I am the bread Of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. The hunger and the thirst that Jesus is talking about here is not hunger in our stomachs, but hunger in our souls. It's a longing for that intimate relationship with God that we were created for. That longing for that relationship with God that our souls are never satisfied apart from. And Jesus is the only one who can meet that need. He is the only one who can bring us to God. He is the only one who paid for our sins in his body on the cross. So this is the message of the gospel. That Christ died for sins. Once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. 
And so the message of the miracle is this. Jesus met these people's immediate and lesser need for food. So that we can understand that Jesus can satisfy our eternal and greater need for him. Through his death, he can banish the hunger of empty hearts. He can banish the the hunger of aching souls. He and he alone can bring us into the experience of his love and his joy and his peace into a personal and living and eternal relationship with Him. What is it our souls long for? It is the bread of life. It is nothing less than Jesus Himself. A wonderful miracle and an amazing message. But you know, really sadly, the crowd that were there that day, they missed it. They missed this message. Yes, they understood that what Jesus did here was an amazing miracle. They saw that. And they saw that it was a miraculous sign that was pointing to who Jesus is. So they began to say, verse 14, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. This was the time of the Passover. We read that uh, in the earlier part in verse 4. The Passover was the time when the nation remembered how Moses led their nation out of slavery in Egypt. Way back in the Old Testament days. And as a result, at Passover time, nationalistic passions were really high. They were big into this, we are the people of Israel, we are the people of God. Let's see God do something amazing again in our nation. And so to them... Jesus seemed like another Moses. Another guy who would lead them out of slavery. This time not to the Egyptians, but this time to the Romans. He would lead them into freedom. And he would bring in the prosperity of the past to their nation. When they were a great nation. The the superpower of that day. And so Jesus knew that they intended to come and make him king by force. They thought Jesus was their superhero. And he would lead them out into a great victory over all their oppressors. This was the the height of Jesus' popularity. But Jesus did not jump to this opportunity. He didn't grab this opportunity to be famous, to be popular. Instead, it says in verse 15, he withdrew himself again to a mountain by himself. It literally means he ran away. Jesus hadn't come to be their superhero. He hadn't come to defeat the bad guys by force and to give them freedom from the oppression that they wanted. Instead, Jesus had come to be their saviour, to pay the price of their sin through his own death and to give them the freedom not from the Romans not from oppression not from poverty but freedom from guilt freedom from sin freedom from hell 
That's the freedom that they desperately needed. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That was his mission. And he wouldn't let anybody distract him from it. Sadly, we'll see in the rest of this chapter how most of the people didn't want that. Didn't understand that. They just wanted food. They just wanted material prosperity. They wanted the things of this world rather than eternal life that Jesus offered them. But you know, there's another lesson here, I think, that we can see. Not just Jesus' ability to meet people's need. Not just the crowd's refusal to accept it. But we can also see how Jesus responded in in the middle of this situation. And see how he has a plan for us. Because when Jesus saw the crowds of hungry people coming towards him, he did not immediately launch in like a superhero to give them the food that they needed. Did you notice what what Jesus did first of all? Verse 5. He turned to Philip and he asked a really strange question. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now Jesus, John, sorry, didn't actually answer the question of why Jesus asked Philip this question. Why not some of the other disciples? But maybe it was because Philip was from that area. He was from the town of Bethsaida. So maybe he knew the area better than anybody else. If anybody knew where to get food in that location, Philip was your, was your guy. He was the local guy with the local knowledge. But John did say why Jesus asked this question in the first place. Verse 6, he asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus wasn't struggling in the face of this overwhelming thing, thinking, I don't know what to do here. Philip, give me some advice. This wasn't the case at all. Jesus was not looking for some suggestions. He was not looking for some local advice. He knew exactly what he was going to do. So what was this? Well, this was a test of Philip's faith. It was a question to reveal where Philip was in his thinking. Would he see this problem through the eyes of faith? Or would he see it completely from a human perspective? And his answer reveals where Philip is at. Look at verse 7. Eight months wages would not buy enough bread For each one to have a bite. Philip must have been like our Philip. Bit of an accountant. (laughs) Did a quick calculation in his head. Worked out. Needed eight months wages. And our money. Roughly 23,000 euro. That kind of amount of money that he says. And even if they had that amount of money. In their pockets. Well there was nowhere to buy. That amount of bread. There was no Aldi or Little just around the corner. Where would he get? And even if they could, well, that would only give each, each person a bite to eat. I wouldn't feed them. Humanly speaking, this was impossible. But that was his problem, wasn't it? Philip could only see this from a human perspective. So he was only looking for a human solution. 
Jesus' test revealed Philip's lack of faith. Now, this was not to condemn Philip. This is not just to kick him out and say, well, you're an unbeliever, out you go. Philip believed in Jesus. We saw that in chapter 1 of John. How Philip believed that Jesus was the Christ. He'd seen Jesus perform amazing miracles. In fact, he'd just been on a mission trip where he preached and healed the sick and cast out demons in Jesus' name. Philip is not some little guy who doesn't know what he's talking about. So Philip had faith. But Jesus wanted Philip's faith to grow. And so he put him, Philip in that situation that would stretch him. So that ultimately he could see that Jesus is enough. Even in times of overwhelming need. This was a growth opportunity for Philip. And God still does the same with us, doesn't he? He still puts us in difficult situations, not because he doesn't like us, not because he doesn't love us, but because he wants us to grow. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must, must finish its work so that you may be, may be, so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God doesn't put, doesn't allow us to go through trials in our lives to destroy us. Instead, He's like a perfect personal trainer in a gym. God allows those things to weigh heavy on us, to challenge our faith, to build our commitment to Him, to deepen our dependence on Him, and to grow our faith in Him. These challenging situations where we are just overwhelmed with needs, they are the times when our faith grows. But this was more than an opportunity to grow. For Philip, it was also an opportunity him to get involved in what Jesus was doing here. Jesus was basically inviting Philip into his work. Mark actually says to us that when some of the disciples, they saw the crowd and they actually came to Jesus and said to Jesus, well you need to send the crowd away so they can go and get some food for themselves. They just wanted to kind of put the responsibility to feed them just on the crowd and just send them off. But Jesus replied in this way, in Mark chapter 6, you give them something to eat. Don't expect them to go off and get it elsewhere. You give them something to eat. Jesus is not this kind of lone superhero who tells everybody to stand back. I can handle this. Just watch. Instead, he acts like the teacher. Letting his disciples see the problem. Letting them feel the weight of the overwhelming need of this crowd. And then inviting them to serve alongside him. To bring the answer to the people. Jesus doesn't want to do it alone. He wants to bring his people with him. And give them the privilege, the honour of serving with him. And Jesus still invites people to do that today. As the bread of life, 
Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our deepest spiritual hunger. But he calls us, us who have trusted in Jesus, he calls us to be involved in giving this bread to the world. Paul writes, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And so God was making his appeal through us. I don't know how you respond to that. I know how I always respond. Who, me? I can't do this, God. How can I take the message of Jesus to this world? The problem is our resources are so limited. We are so inadequate for this job. And yet Jesus does not despise who we are or what we have. Jesus could have created food for this crowd instantly from nothing. Can you? We believe that, don't we? John chapter 1 says that through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus spoke this world into existence through the power of his word. So making food for 5, 10, 20,000 people would have been easy, I guess. But Jesus didn't choose to do it this way. Instead, Andrew came up And he said, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Don't know anything about this little boy. Apart from the fact that he was willing to give all that he had to Jesus. And it wasn't very much. It was a meagre lunch for a little boy. Even Andrew, in bringing it to Jesus, you know, he seems like a hero, being the one who brings it to Jesus, and then he ruins it all by saying, but how far will they go among so many? He seems embarrassed about how small it is in the face of such overwhelming need. But Jesus did not belittle what that boy gave. Instead, he took it, and he gave thanks for it. And then he used this little gift from this little boy to feed those crowds of thousands. What this boy had was insignificant when it was in his own hands. And yet when he gave it sacrificially to Jesus, it was transformed into something extraordinary. And I firmly believe that Jesus wants to do something similar in our lives. Jesus doesn't need our help to reach the world for Christ. He doesn't need our help to take the gospel to this world. He isn't limited in his power or his strength or his resources. And yet Jesus wants to work through us. And all we need to do is like this boy give everything that we are and everything we have no matter how small or insignificant it feels and give it to Jesus and let him change the world through it. 
then people will see not us as superheroes, but they'll see God's power working through us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We have the treasure of the gospel, the good news of Jesus in us. So that when we go out into the world, people will not be enamoured by us. They will not be blown away by us. But they'll just see God at work through us. Jesus isn't looking for superheroes. As the bread of life, he has all the strength and all the power and all the resources that this world will ever need. Instead, Jesus is looking for ordinary, everyday people like us to give him our very limited resources so that he can save the world through us for his sake.